it's not often you talk to somebody who you realize knows everything about everything. And I don't just mean guys who know, you know, cultural stuff like NBA scores and whatever, but history, the things that happened in the world in which I live, uh, going back to how ideas started, and that's Jim Garlow. And so the interview today is not only with a, um, a really good friend, but it's also with somebody that it just always blows my mind. You're going to absolutely love this. Chris Shields is with me. Chris, uh, you've been around Pastor Jim for a number of years, right? Yes, sir. You were out in San Diego. I was. At his church, Skyline, when he was the pastor. Yes, sir. And uh, now his uh, son-in-law, Jeremy, mm-hmm. Pastor Jeremy, is uh, pastoring that church. But, but he was there over 20 years. Yes. Senior pastor. Did a significant work. But he's never shied away from controversy. No. That's his middle name. <laughs> it's his middle name. I mean, you were out there. Uh, he went after the whole marriage yes. amendment, Prop 8, out there in California. Yes, he took that on. Took it on. With no hesitation. And and built a, a huge uh, ally, group of allies yes. from the Catholic Church, the Seventh-day Adventist to Wesleyan, whatever, the whole thing. Yeah. That's pretty amazing to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, he's a leader. I mean, you can't. As a leader. Yeah. Yeah, when you're around him, you know that. Yeah. Yeah, because he tells you what to do. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Yes, he does do that. <laughs> he suggests it. Highly suggests Highly suggests it. Well, he does that with me. I love Jim. Yes. I love Jim. But he's like, you know, have you thought about? Yeah. You know, have you thought about? And uh, this man, he's written so many books. I remember when he wrote his first one. Uh, I think it was How God Saved the World. And then uh, now he's written 19 books, well-versed biblical answer to today's tough issues. And uh, he and his wife, uh, Carol, at the time, she passed away in 2013. And now his wife, Rosemary Schindler uh, Garlow, uh, have this amazing ministry in Israel, yes, around the world. But, uh, man, he doesn't back off. And we started talking about the church, and he started telling me, hey, here's where we're missing it. Yes. In the pulpits of America. Wow. But I, mean, I really love with him how he can take so many complex things yeah and bring it to the simplest level for you to understand yeah. you can't walk out of a teaching from him and not say that you understand what he was just right. sharing yeah yeah it doesn't just go over your head so no. but he could because he's got all these doctorates and all yes. this learning and and he does know as many words as uh i don't know leonard sweet people like that yes you know? this guys with big words yes i'm not a big word guy i'm, a, I'm a big word in the word but I'm not I'm not about big <laughs> words because uh, I want it to be portable, understandable. Yeah. And uh, Jim Garlow is an amazing man. You're going to love this interview today uh, on Brave Men with Jim Garlow. Just get ready and uh, get ready to take some notes today on Brave Men. It's Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Wisdom and courage for the journey. I'm talking with uh, Dr. Jim Garlow, who is the CEO and founder of Wellversed, a ministry that's bringing biblical principles of governance to government leaders and young adults and, uh, and across America and really around the world. How do you bring biblical principles into governance, Jim? <laughs> it sounds like a, an oxymoron to start with. Well, this is going to sound like a strange way of answering your question, but when I was age nine, August the 13th of my ninth year, I remember the day, remember where I was, 
a governmental anointing came upon me. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that term, that phrase. I don't mean to suggest I called it that at that point. Was this but, on a tractor? This had to have been on a tractor. No. Because you're, you're, you're from Kansas. You're from Kansas, and you have one of the world's largest collections of tractor models. <laughs> Not the world's largest, but... <laughs> it's it's got to be. I was, Who I mean, collects them? <laughs> well, just, just smart people. <laughs> well, what happened? What was the occasion? How in, how in the world would you remember that? Well, it so happened it was a hot summer day, and it was the opening day of the Democratic National Convention. Mm. I know this sounds pretty antiquated, but TVs were relatively new and very rare in particularly rural areas. And we were the second family in our area to get a, get a TV. And wow. uh, we, were, we were watching the Democratic National Convention. We'd never, it had only been televised oh, I, once or twice before, but nobody owned TVs to watch it. Yeah. And this, this is quite a big deal. And I remember being so impacted by that, hugely impacted. Uh, Adlai Stevenson won the nomination. I was going to say I was Adlai Stevenson against and, uh, Eisenhower. Yeah. It was actually the first time probably that John Fitzgerald Kennedy's name was actually mentioned national tv in the context of a, of a convention he yeah. was considered as a vp candidate potentially at that time his gracious uh, speech when he lost is what set him up for 1960 but uh, on that particular occasion i just remember extremely well and i watched again i watched the news for governmental issues political issues from that day on the rest no of my kidding. life wow rest of the day. so that that's how it, it began what what has opened up more recently um, is we bring biblical principles of governance to government leaders through Bible studies. I wrote a book called Well Versed before we use that name for our ministry. Uh, it lays out the biblical foundations for about 30 different political or governmental topics. Wow. Accession, minimum wage, social security, healthcare, welfare, you name the topic. I lay out the scriptural underpinnings to each one of those. And that's the Bible. We have short videos for every one of those chapters and so that's what we use the Bible study. Are you saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. Are you saying there's biblical underpinnings for things like Social Security and the issues we face in government? Every one of the issues that gets discussed, God, God, God processed this, this before. It's God who established government. Mm. It's God who establishes nations. Mm. And he is so loving and so compassionate he not only designed the Bible to speak to our personal issues, not only to family issues, not only to church issues, but issues of civil governance. And to the extent that we will follow biblical principles for civil governance, to that same extent, we will reduce human pain, suffering, and poverty. Now, the flip side of that is also true, unfortunately. To the extent that we violate principles of Scripture and civil governance, to that same extent, we will increase human pain, suffering, and poverty. The average person does not know wow. what I just said right there, follower of Christ. And the scripture speaks to all of these issues. Yeah, so, so basically you're that guy, you know, because we're told that uh, when you go to a party, don't talk about religion or politics, but you're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a home where we only discussed two things, politics and religion. Politics and religion. Well, Every, and, and I knew your father, and, and of course, you were my pastor for many years, and you were my father's uh, pastor. 
and your dad was a, a great man, a smart man, and your mom, a brilliant lady. But but yeah, they're on a farm in Kansas. You begin to learn the the core values of what it is to be a follower of Christ, and and also and again, I, the biblical principles of governance. What happens too often is is because we live in America, the United States of America. We have a tendency to feel like it's they're ours, but they don't belong to us. They belong to every single person in the world, right? Even no matter what government they live under. No, this is this is way beyond uh, Americanism. This is this is universal. God thought He established all nations. Here's what's really interesting about this, Paul. In a survey that George Barna did, ninety percent of pastors agreed that the Bible speaks to the political, social, and uh, cultural issues of our day. Hmm. In that same survey, when they were asked, based upon that, have you in the past or will you in the future speak on what the Bible says about those cultural, social, and political issues, 90% said no, they hadn't, and no, they wouldn't. Wait, wait, wait a minute. So in other words, so 90% of 90% is like, that means 80% of the pastors, the pulpits, where I mean, basically, what what uh, was the rudder of founding a nation of freedom uh, would not speak to these issues. Now, I was with George Barna before he released this study openly, and he told me, he "says I just finished the study, a survey, and it, it, I could tell by his countenance that was very he was very troubled, he was very bothered." George George is a, a close friend. In fact, we texted him just just last night, and 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 he it bothered him enormously. Now, let me re rewind those numbers. 90% mm -hmm. agreed the right. Bible speaks to these issues. But when asked, will you speak to those issues, 90% said, no, I would not. Wow. Now, Barton, David uh, David Barton, another close buddy, I've been to his place a number of times. We, we co-authored a, a, a book together. Back. Mm -hmm. He pointed out that he, he has the largest collection of writings before uh, 1812 of the founding fathers. Right. Yeah. I've actually seen it. I'm sorry. I've seen it. It's amazing. You've been out there to Alito. That's it's, it's, it's an amazing collection. Well, it's the largest private collection of its kind in the world. And he points out, he, he brought me out one day to show me all the sermons and what pastors covered in their topics. Wow. So what pastors preach on in the founding years of our country? The answer is everything. Every single thing that came up, every governmental, political issue, everything, pastors spoke to that. So they be, the, the scriptures became the formation of people's thinking on this. And, and, and what a difference we have today where a pastor will say, well, I don't, I, I'm not into politics. Right. Uh, I preach Jesus. The problem with that is that we ought to preach Jesus. I gave an invitation for people to receive Christ almost every time I've ever preached. Mm -hmm. However, we should preach what Jesus preached. And what did he preach was the kingdom. He, he talked about being born again on, on one occasion, and that's very important to help people be born again. Right. He talked about the kingdom about 30 times more than that. And the nature of the kingdom, what is the kingdom? I, I had the privilege over the last two years of meeting with 10 different presidents, prime ministers, and kings. Wow. Only one of them was a king, so I should say a king. And when I walked in, that, there was a delegation of 12 of us, went into this king's palace, this King Abdullah II in Jordan. 
and they walked in, I realized I'd never been in the presence of a king. And I was just astounded when we met him. He, he's not up for re-election in four years. <laughs> right. This is a, a king. His daddy was king before him. His son presumably will be king after him. He's king. It's all his. He's a king. And I realized how a difficult time we as Americans with our sort of democratic democratic bent in terms of democracy and our, our, our constitutional republic and elections every four years or two years, how we, we don't grasp how a kingdom functions. He's, he's king. So if yeah, Jesus is yeah. king. It's Chronicles of Narnia. He's the yeah, king. He's authority over everything. Yeah. And that includes, my, my issue is not the political. My issue is the governmental. Uh, the government is on the shoulders of Jesus. So it's a good right. thing. Being right. government involved is a very, very powerful. And okay, okay. So there's a, there's a huge distinction. Let me give you a little context, uh, and then I will give your website. But just a little context uh, for us who are listening, who like who, where is this guy coming from? Uh, Master of Theology, Princeton Theological Seminary, PhD, Historical Theology from Drew University, Asbury Theological, Bachelor's, Master's, Southern Nazarene, Oklahoma Wesleyan, uh, you've been in school half your life, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it was half my life, but I'm older now. <laughs> <laughs> but you're older now. And you're married to a beautiful wife, Rosemary. You were married to our dear friend Carol years ago, who uh, went to be with the Lord in 2013. And, uh, but, but these things, so in other words, you're not coming from sort of a non-historical background or non-learned, uh, you're not a barefoot you know, farmer from Kansas who's just waving his fist at politics, uh, which is what I appreciate about Wellversed. Now, give me the website again, Wellversed. Wellversedworld.org. 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 Okay. And then also, uh, we can look up your wife. Your wife, uh, one of the descendants of Oscar Schindler, Rosemary Schindler. She has Schindler's Ark. Um, is that dot com? Uh, I, I, <laughs> we should know these I, things. <laughs> I can't read. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I got it. I got it right here. Yeah, it is. It's schindlersark.com. I'll save you, man. <laughs> Thank and, you. And I will not tell your wife. Oh man, that's if that happened, even though it's it's on a podcast that everybody's going to hear. <laughs> So the fact is, is that a, year, a number of years ago, and, and refresh my uh, memory, I think, it seems to me it was 2008, you went after uh, something in California. You were pastoring a church called Skyline Church. Your son-in-law, Jeremy, brilliant young leader, he and his wife, Janie, your daughter, are pastoring that church now called Skyline. It's in San Diego County. And, uh, but you saw something happening in that state that threatened biblical values. And you went after it, and, and you got into a fight. There were people who said you shouldn't be involved. Tell me about it. It was called Prop 8. Tell me now, about that, Jim. Proposition 8 was only 14 words, and it simply said only marriage between a man and a woman would be valid and recognized in the state of California. Wait a minute. Uh, so this, and that was 14 okay. words? That was it. Only 14 words. And became a multi-million dollar fight? Uh, 42 million on our side, to be exact. Goodness. 40 million on their uh, their side. It had actually passed as a as Proposition 22 back in the year 2000, and was added to California family law. However, it was obvious 
but since it was not a part of the Constitution, it was only family law, that some judges were going to, a few years later, throw it out. Mm-hmm. And so we, we had to get, I don't remember the number now, half a million or 750,000 yeah. signatures, whatever it was, to get it on the ballot because we felt like they were going to throw it out. And sure enough, they did. But fortunately, we had enough signatures and we put it on the ballot. And pastor, I, I had my first conference call with 1,700 pastors on that call and Christian leaders. Wow. And then the second one, we had, uh, I think it was 3,200, 3,400, 3,400 pastors and Christian leaders on the next conference call. We started, this is before live streaming. It was much more techy yeah. and clunky to do it. And we had to do uh, what was called webinars back in that day. And so we did a series of webinars plus uh, satellite, uh, satellite uplinks to do major uh, satellite productions or promotions you know, to make the whole state of California aware of it. So pastors rose up across the state of California. We uh, then linked up with our Catholic friends, uh, Archbishop Salvador Cordeleone, who is now the Archbishop of San, San Francisco, hmm. became a close friend in that battle. And uh, so the Catholics and the evangelicals linked up together. And then we linked up also uh, to save marriage uh, with the Mormons at that time and linked up with their leadership to make sure we could defeat it. And um, we were told all along that we could not win it because we started out in the field poll of being 38% positive and no, in the history of California, no poll, and, and no a proposition ever started in the negative in a poll and ever won. Yeah. So we were told by both friends and enemies, it was it's unwinnable, it could not be won. <clears throat> well, I asked Lou Engel to come to our state, to move to our state, with his wife and seven children, which he did, and lead us in a 40-day fast. The state went wow. on a 40-day fast, Christians. People started joining us from all over. Uh, three days before the election, we had 33,000 in Qualcomm Stadium here in San Diego, wow. a culmination of a 40-day fast. Uh, we had all these webinars going across the state, and then we organized in such a way so that we had 100,000 boots on the ground, uh, people on the ground on the day of the uh, of the actual election, and so we had people at all the, the tens of thousands of precincts across California. We had done our homework before that by phoning and knocking on doors to an extent, so we knew who was against us and couldn't be moved, who was for us and would be rock solid, and then the mushy middle that needed to be touched with information. And so it was a very very well thought out and structured campaign involving many different components of people working together. And so on the day of the campaign. At 2 p.m., they post who was voted or not voted. And so our people were at all these precincts all across the state of California. And they, we knew who had not voted, who was with us. And we started phoning all of them across the state. And when the, when the dust settlement was over, we won with 7 million votes. We won 52.3% wow. in a battle that we were told could never be okay. won. Okay. And what was the importance of that? What, what's the important? I mean, if, if people want to get married... What's the big deal? Well, what's answer. the definition Same of sex. For some people, you change the definition of marriage for all people. Uh, God uh-huh. has ordained marriage as one man, one woman. Uh, once you change it, the definition, it's not a case of live and let live. It's a case of that. It, it, becomes, it becomes now expanded. You're, you're, coerced, you're coerced into embracing an immoral construct. And, and so that's, that's still... Uh, in the offings, all kinds of businesses have been shut down if they will not go, uh, go along with that. So it has radically altered uh, the, the landscape. We, I was in the Supreme Court the day that Jack Phillips was there. 
Uh, he won that case. Now they've sued him a second time. Now sued him a third time. That, is that the is that the baker? Yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't make the cake for a Washington State. I've been with her, and she's she's lost. They're coming after her home and her entire pension. I've been with a t-shirt maker in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and it's all these people who've been so severely uh, persecuted if they will not knuckle under an anti-biblical concept. And we also now have uh, quite a bit of pressure being put on to broaden the definition of marriage. Why can't three women marry a man or three men marry a woman? Um, and so on and on, the definition of marriage has just simply, it has lost, the state has lost its moral authority to rule over this. By the way, uh, when our case went to the Supreme Court, uh, we did not lose the case as people report. Proposition 8 was never defeated. What happened there was we did not, we were, they ruled the Supreme Court that we, the people, did not have legal standing to bring the case to the Supreme Court. Okay. So it was never, the merits was never ruled. So, so the real issue is what's our standard of truth? And, and, and once we lose that true north, so marriage wasn't, in other words, what, marriage wasn't the end-all issue. It really had to do with what are our, what's the foundation and what are the principles that we base governance on? Is that right? Well, precisely. And in studies that we had done in countries that are further ahead of us in this journey, we found the tremendous violations of religious liberty and of conscience occurring overwhelmingly. And that is precisely what has occurred in our own country. If fear and intimidation has ruled the day, uh, it precisely as we said it would, uh, the whole notion of legalizing, for example, uh, pedophilia, that's precisely where the pressure is coming on right now, and, and will probably go through at some point, unless our, unless our nation repents. All the domino effect that we said would happen, that's exactly what's starting uh, to unfold in the culture. And what's interesting <clears throat> is, and I pressed some of my friends on this who call themselves homosexual, I said, e even when, when you were allowed to get married, you didn't. You really didn't want marriage. What you wanted was, uh, in effect, just to force Christians to redefine marriage because there's enormous numbers, high percentage of people who, who now could get married, uh, according to the state, and, and they did not. They did not do that. The well, that's fascinating. And, and if you study this, the statistics on homosexual relationships, you find out that the average homosexual man has six different relationships per year. On average, divorce, uh, the suicide rates are higher and so forth and so on. And so, you know, what you're really talking about, though, is the game Jenga uh, in that if you take one little block out, it looks like everything's going to stand. If you take another little block out, that ah, looks pretty good. And then all of a sudden you take another one out and the whole thing falls over. Wow. How insightful with Jim Garlow. Let's take a moment, though, in this time to talk about all the great resources we offer here with Christian Men's Network and the Global Fatherhood Initiative. You can find all the resources for mentoring and fatherhood at cmn.men. That's cmn.men. Also, you can write to Paul at paul at cmn.men. That's paul at cmn.men. We have tremendous resources for churches with special discounts for groups on that website. Everything a church needs from A to Z to mentor and disciple men of all ages and backgrounds. Now, let's get back to this awesome interview between Paul and Jim Garlow. 
Well, it basically boils down to this. What is the source of authority for the nature of truth? Mm. That's the core of it. Certain things are true and certain things are false. What is the foundation piece for government? The critics of us, people like us, say, oh, you just want a theocracy. Uh, no, I frankly don't even know how a theocracy would function. I just want there to be the recognition of even in this case in America, America's founding fathers. Mm. When you look at the founding fathers in their writings, the most quoted book that they, that they quoted in their writings was the Bible. Mm. The second most quoted source was them quoting others who quoted the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's not by accident all those big marble uh, statues have I've written them on the scripture all over uh, Washington, D.C., is because we were foundationally built upon a Judeo-Christian structure. And once you violate that, then you have no, at that point, you have no, you said a moment ago, no, no, no north. You have yeah. no source of what actually is truth. Yeah, where does truth come from? And the implications are culture. That's why we have, for example, a massive amount of human trafficking, the abuse yeah. of, of, of young children. Yeah. Why is this? There is no moral compass that's allowed. Yeah, if there's no moral compass, then what happens is it, truth becomes your truth, whatever you want truth to be. And the problem there is, is that we have no basis. It, it shifts and moves. And, and then we try to say, wait a minute, you can't do that. Well, why not? You know what stops me? It's my truth. There's no moral absolute. So you you actually are part of what's called the pulpit freedom movement, because we go back to what George Barnett and uh, his team found out, in that you're telling pastors and uh, men who speak from pulpits and stages uh, to speak out on the on the issues. Yeah, the background of that is on July the 2nd, 1954, a very angry Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was then senator before he became president, returned to Washington, D.C., where they were in a discussion and overhauling uh, the, the, the tax structure. He put an amendment up that had only a voice vote and had no discussion. It became nicknamed the Johnson Amendment. Right. Which essentially said that a 501c3 could not endorse or oppose a candidate. The problem with that, 501c3 is the IRS delineation of a, of a church or a not-for-profit. There are 29 different categories of 501c. There's only one 501c3, and that's the one that got singled out, that they could not oppose or endorse a candidate. Wow. Now, why did that go through? Johnson's own uh, legislate, chief legislative aide later admitted, we didn't even have churches in mind. We were mad at two businessmen who used their 501c3 nonprofit organization to oppose us. That We were just trying to shut them down. But the IRS jumped on that and made a ruling, therefore, that pastors could not endorse or oppose the candidate. The problem is the IRS themselves cannot define what that means. For example, if a pastor says, well, the Bible is pro-life, God's pro-life, so we should vote pro-life. We should never vote for a pro-abortion candidate. Well, is that not, in fact, in many elections, a de facto endorsement or statement of opposition? Uh, the, the IRS strangely doesn't know how to answer that question. So, so, the but, so what you're saying is the IRS, it's not their place to make law. 
Well, right? the caucus is not their place to police pulpits. You police have, pulpits. If, okay. if you were gonna if you were gonna actually enforce this, you would have to have pulpit police in every church. Wow. Listening to what's being said. There's a reason why we have the phrase separation of church and state, as, as most people, most of your listeners are sophisticated, they know. Right. Uh, came from January the first, eighteen oh two. Never had the meeting uh, of being that the state can have controls over the church on this. It was actually the opposite that the that the church had no control over the state, but it did not rule out religion from impacting and government. That's right. what Thomas Jefferson meant by the phrase "wall of separation." And it was understood what it meant all the way through the years Supreme Court until the 1947 Everson case. In that case, the Supreme Court actually flipped Thomas Jefferson's statement about wall, wall separation, flipped it on its head, and interpreted the exact opposite of what he had intended. And that was, they now interpreted separation of church and state to mean the church could not impact the state, which is precisely opposite of what Jefferson Intended in Jefferson's interest. intention was that the state could not come in and impose itself on religion. Yeah, the Danbury Baptist to whom he wrote. That, that was, was the wall of separation. Yeah, and he says, he says that the federal government has no right to intervene at all. We have no, we have no reason. And, and the Supreme Court would go on to say <clears throat> that whatever you can, whatever you tax, you can kill. So we should, out of respect for churches, we have no right legally to tax churches. People think that pastors got together with government and cut a deal and says, hey, we won't talk about government if you won't tax us. That's not at all what happened. What happened is the Supreme Court understood exactly the reason for the separation and that the government had the power to tax it, had the power to control and to kill it. Wow. And so it was a recognition of an authentic separation of church and state. There was no taxation allowed. The Supreme wow. Court rulings are very clear on that particular issue. Well, along comes then this ruling, this Johnson Amendment. And so what happens? Pastors get intimidated. They get bullied. Left-wing organizations, I've gotten these letters myself. Left-wing organizations send letters out to pastors and say, well, you better not speak out on, on governmental political issues, because if you do, you can lose your tax exemption. There has not been one church to lose its tax exemption in the history of this. One lost a tax-exempt letter for a day, but no church has lost their tax exemptions. So because that law is used to intimidate pastors, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, a group of 3,000 Christian attorneys, decided to challenge it. And so we had Pulpit Initiative Sunday where we intentionally violated the Johnson Amendment. We endorsed or opposed a candidate. I don't know how many guys did. I think probably around 4,000, but I'm not sure wow. what the total number was. And we, we sent our sermons into the IRS. And to which they responded with cards saying, thank you, we got your sermon. So somebody's got to be getting saved at the IRS with all those great sermons there. Uh, I haven't seen the evidence for it yet. But <laughs> in all this time, the IRS would not take on a single church yeah. and take them to a lawsuit. We had 3,000 Christian attorneys ready to defend any church in America, and they would not because presumably they knew it would get ruled unconstitutional. Yeah, they knew. Yeah. Yeah. So bottom line is, is uh, pastors are free to speak on issues and need to. And if we don't, we lose our salt. I mean, we, we lose our, uh, our impact and influence on culture. I, I don't know how we can, I don't know how we can preach Jesus and freedom 
without speaking to the issues that cause people to be enslaved. No, here, let me give an illustration of a conversation with, with a friend of mine, and he, he's pastors, I pastored a, a large church, but he pastored a church much larger than mine. One day we were talking, he's taller than me, and he looked down at me both physically and uh, condescendingly, and he says, I don't, I don't do politics in a smug way. Now, he and I are still friends, even though it is going to sound pretty straightforward. But my, my response to him, I said, my problem with you is not political. My problem with you is biblical. You're not biblical. I, I says, let me, let me give you an example. I says, if it was 1860 and I was a slave and my slave owner was going to go to church, would, would, would I, as a slave, want my slave owner to go to your church or to Jim's church? The answer is Jim's church. Because I would address the sin of slavery. And you wow. won't. I says, if I was a, a baby in the womb of a 14-year-old girl who lived close to Planned Parenthood, would I, as that baby, want her to go to your church or to Jim's church? The answer is my church, because I will address the sin of abortion, and I will attempt to do everything I can to support her and help save the life of that baby. It makes it politics. Makes it different. It's not really politics. It's biblical, not political. That's the so, hard Okay, that's now that's huge right there. It's not politics, it's governance. Yeah, but see, see, uh, politics is the goal to get your guy elected every two years. Right, right, that, right, that's, right. I'm about something so much bigger than that. Yeah. And that is, I, I don't want, I just want to win an election every two years. I want to win the hearts and minds of every person elected to office so they'll be so in love with God, so attuned with his word, They'll understand the scripture speaks on these issues, and the result will will get people in office who will intuitively know by their love of scripture, love of God, how to respond to every governmental situation, and it'll bring peace and prosperity upon the nation. You know, Jim, Jim Garlow, I mean, we could we could go on for a long time. I want to thank you for being on Brave Men. Uh, this is because the only way we protect the future is to be active in the present. You know, you know, Brotherhood of Commissioned Men, and you're on our board with Christian Men's Network. And I thank you so much for this kind of input. You are a, <laughs> how do you respond to this? Let me just ask you this, because I, I read this about you in an article. It says, uh, you're a radical right-wing evangelical. Okay, let's take one of the word. Radical <laughs> means to the root. Yes, I go to the root, the root's word. Okay, that's good. Right-wing it's not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. I want to be in the right wing, not the wrong wing. So, yes. Evangelical, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We can be forgiven for our sins. And he, was, he resurrected on the third day. He's coming back to judge again. I believe the Bible, so I'm an evangelical. They are correct in their assessment. You are a master semiotician, man. I mean, I love that. Well, let's take it word by word. In fact, let me take the word R-A-D. <laughs> In, in, 17, in 1724, that word was used to describe There's something else, man. And I, I really, people need to, you've written 15 books, but I want to mention a couple of them. Well-Versed is, is an incredible book because it, it gives us the biblical underpinnings to issues that we face as men, as parents, as men who are concerned about culture. In other words, we need to be able to speak to these things. When people bring these things up, we should not be intimidated. And so, uh, Jim, you and Rosemary and your ministry, and, and, and we could talk some other time about uh, Israel and Jerusalem and the things you're involved there, but people can see it on uh, schindlersark.com, Jim. <laughs>
Schindler's Ark. Write this down. Schindler'sark.com. <laughs> so, but, but the fact is, I, I thank God for somebody as learned as you are, uh, who's also got the cojones to go out there and just go for it. Because this has come with, with you've, you've gotten personal hits, not just death threats and things like that. But just you've taken personal hits where people you who used to be your friends were you don't hear from them anymore. And you've done that uh, for us so that, if you will, like you're the prow of, a, of an icebreaker. And I thank well, you and Rosemary for uh, taking the hits for us. It, it, it's, a, it's a joy because the, the, word, the word is so good. If people could just see how the word, the word of God covers all these topics. I, we, we have a ministry at the United Nations. We have met privately with 91 of the 193 ambassadors of the United Nations. Wow. And let me give an example of one that took not too long ago. I was sitting with an ambassador of a small Muslim nation. And, and I said, sir, 40% of your population is unemployed. That's staggeringly painful. That is so difficult on your people. Your people are hurt. Wow. He says, yes. I said, let me tell you who I am. I come bringing biblical principles of economic matters for nations to cause them to prosper. Mm. I said, can I pray for you based on that? He said, of course. He didn't have any resistance to me as a Christian, wow. to wow. him as a Muslim, of the Muslim nation. When I explained to him, the word of God has a blessing for your nation. Now, if people could just understand whether it's taxation or minimum wage or social security or healthcare or welfare, or you name the cause, that God has a better way or they would just run to the word of God and want yeah. to be educated on civil governance. Yeah. So we as an electorate would elect people, godly people who also understand that. And we would bring peace and prosperity to the land. So as a man, I mean, just where I live today, the hope I have, whether it's coronavirus crisis or, you know, there's going to be another crisis in 24 months. Whatever crisis it is, my, uh, the, the foundation I have for my life is the Word of God. And, and so that's why Well-Versed is such a great book. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Uh, that's Jim Garlow, G-A-R-L-O-W. And, and uh, on the front of that book, some, some of your books are James, Dr. James Garlow. They're all right. on the front. They're all saying James L. Garlow. That's my legal name. Yes. Dr. James L. Garlow. Okay. Yes. And so that's, you know, so if you want to know, you know, uh, we know you as Pastor Jim. That's the way our family does you. And, uh, but man, what a, what an amazing ministry and a great book. And then you've written a number of others that are uh, fantastic. And you and Rosemary, very involved. United Nations, uh, you're doing Bible studies in the capital of the, of the United States. Uh, you've done these things. You've, as you mentioned, you've spoken to presidents and that's all on your uh, website. There's things on there and there's also, um, downloaded courses we can take things we can yes, learn from. Uh, that is actually just getting put together on our website. So keep awesome. watching that. That'll be uh, very soon. I always want to say a, a, an enormous heartfelt appreciation for you for Christian men's network. I had the privilege of uh, knowing Dr. Cole, Cole extremely well. Evan Lewis Cole was one of the most influential males in my life. Uh, in fact, when I was at his funeral, the burial site, I wept. I wept. It's, the loss was so deep for some of us. 
and what he launched, what he did, what he wrote, what he said, and the way he confronted. He confronted me numerous times in a godly way that altered the, the, project, the, the trajectory of my life. And then, Paul, to watch you to take this, and when you received the mantle of this, I remember watching as that began to unfold. Uh, you didn't know I was going to say this, but Christian Men's Network is, is one of the most encouraging movements. There's just a few movements that just, just I break out in joy. I said, boy, that gives me hope. And what you've accomplished, I don't know how many nations, how many nations total are, are, you, are you guys in your material in now? On the ground, 134 countries and 38 languages. See, that, that's, there's only 193 nations. Right. Nations, you got it. So you're, you're on a, a staggering number of them. And this is a huge important. I encourage every pastor and every Christian man listening to me to get hold of this literature and find out how to, how to plug in. It doesn't, doesn't get better than this. So, Paul, I say, wait, way to go, way to go. Yeah, thank you, Jim. That, that's, uh, that's very special for you to say that. And, uh, again, wellversed.com, and you can oh, find it. Wellversed World. Wellversedworld.org. We'll put it on the show notes. It'll, it'll be on there. Wellversedworld.org. And, um, yeah, this is great stuff. And I know you've got, uh, as you said, you're downloading things. Uh, we can find you there. We can find you on, uh, schindlersark.com. You and your wife, Rosemary, and the work you're, you're doing on behalf of is or to Israel and to the Jewish people. But uh, thank you for all this, man. Uh, this is absolutely amazing. And, and we pray for you and Rosemary that every place you put your feet will be holy ground, and everything you put your hands to it will prosper. And Jim, we pray that you and Rosemary and your family and all your grandchildren will be held deeply in the grip of his favor in Jesus' name in the days ahead. Oh, I receive that, and I pray the same for you and your offspring, my brother. We love you and bless you. It's a, it's a joy to reconnect with you right now. Amen. Love you, man. Love you. Thank you. How many notes did you take, Paul, during this episode? Yeah, no kidding, man. I mean, really, seriously, when, when I start talking to Jim, I, I pull my phone out, I pull notes out, I do something, even when he and I are just on the phone together. You know, just as friends. <laughs> yes. You know, talking about the children and talking about him out there, you know, riding his bike on the, what's, what's that place in San Diego out there on the, near the ocean? Mission Beach? Yeah, yeah. You know, all those areas yeah. that he goes to. And, and, uh, and because he'll say, well, you know, last week, uh, Rosemary and I were with the president of Honduras. Yes. Oh, really? I was, you know, <laughs> mowing my backyard. <laughs> this yes. guy's talking about changing the world, man. Yes. An amazing guy. And so insightful, right? Oh. Unbelievable. Crazy. I mean, there's never a dull moment with him. He can tell you a date. He'll say, you know, back in 1818. <laughs> well, shoot. What happened in 1818? I'll mention something like, well, Jim, you know, that's, isn't that kind of uh, like such and such? I'll say something. He'll go, well, actually, no, Paul. In 1732, <laughs> there was a meeting happened in Switzerland. It was between, and I'm like, okay. And uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, there are some things that, that, I can win on it. Usually something like NBA, <laughs> you know, it's like something that means nothing to the future of the yes, world. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I'm shocked that he watches the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, you know, well, but he probably already knows what the score is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, he's got this 
prophetic thing. Anyway, yes. Jim Garlow's heard uh, daily in over 800 radio outlets nationwide. The thing I love about him is he stood up and he stood strong on NBC, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, any show that he's interviewed on. He's just, bam, moral clarity. Yes. And that's what this program was about. You know, so I, I love, you know, man, the guys we've had on, Chris. You know, with David Barton and you go back to uh, DeMario and, and uh, man, some of the early shows last season. It's really tremendous. I want to thank you and everyone who's been listening to this podcast and listening uh, to Brave Men over the last few seasons. And, and Chris Shields, you've done a great job pulling things together on some of the interviews that we have right now. And we've got some great ones coming up. We had a John Eldridge last season. We've got uh, Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North coming up. Got a number of other people looking forward to it. But, but really digging into this is what I believe, why I believe it. Brave Men isn't just about introducing you to a man who's brave and stands up. It's about becoming a brave man. That's why we do what we do. You can write to me at paul at cmn.men, paul at cmn.men. And at cmn.men, on that website are tools and resources to mentor your children, to be involved in your church, uh, to help other men. In fact, go on there, grab one of these books, materials like Maximize Manhood, send it to somebody. You know somebody right now who needs that. And you also know someone who needs to watch or listen to this podcast. Make sure you like us. Hit that. Is it a like button? Yeah. Share it's a button. Like, you got a share button, Syndicate a like yep. button, mm -hmm. all and that copy stuff. Copy the link, share it to a copy friend. Copy the link. Follow. We yes. need followers. Yep. The more followers, the better. Right? Subscribe. Yep. Subscribers. That's it, man. Yes. You know all that podcast language, Chris. Yes, all that fun stuff. That's why I like hanging out with you, man. <laughs> I love hanging out with stuff. you too, Paul. All right. Thank you guys for being uh, with us today on Brave Men. God bless you. We'll see you next time. You've just experienced Brave Men with Paul Lewis Cole. Paul is president of the Christian Men's Network. Connect with Paul at cmn.men or write to him at paul at cmn.men.